you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, please. Dear God, we praise you. We praise you, Father. We praise you, Son. We praise you, Holy Spirit. You are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of these songs that we sing. You're worthy of our lives and so much more. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son. And we thank you, Jesus, for sending the Spirit from the Father. We are grateful for what you've given us. We're grateful for the sacrifice that you made, Jesus, on the cross. And we're thankful for the Spirit that you've given us. We pray now that the Spirit would be present among us today, that it would be in this place, that it would allow us to be attentive to your word. We pray especially for Mike as he preaches, that your spirit would be upon him and that the words that he gives to us today would be your words and not his own. God, I pray as we go out in the world that we would understand these words that you've written. We confess that we love to be loved, that we desire to not be hated, but we see in your word that that's not always the case. God, we pray that your spirit would enable us to endure hardship, especially persecution. And we, in particular today, our mind turns to those Christians and parts of the world that are persecuted, that are truly hated. We pray that your spirit would be upon them, protecting them, watching over them. And we pray that your kingdom would come, that the day would come when that's no longer the case, when the world is renewed, when it no longer hates you but loves you. And we pray that you would allow us to be a part of that here at Mercy House. God, we pray for our children downstairs, that you would continue to work in their lives through the Spirit, and that they would be drawn to you through the teaching of V and the other teachers down there, and that you would be glorified by their uh, coming to faith in you. We pray for our witness in the valley, on the campuses, and in our communities too, God, that you would allow us to continue to proclaim your gospel. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good morning, Mercy House. Good morning. Uh, my name is Mike Daling. My wife Becky and I went to UMass Amherst, actually, and we were part of Mercy House for several years uh, while in school. Um, moved to Eastern Mass for work, but just came back last year, actually, living in Belchertown now, and, you know, been members again, so glad to be back. And I am grateful for the opportunity to preach this morning. So lately, our church has been studying um, the upper room discourse, right? <clears throat> And, you know, today's message, Jesus moves to talking about the hatred that he experienced and how we experience it as his followers 
and how we will respond to it. So if you're a note taker or if, you know, just to follow along, there's three points that I'll communicate and I'll continue to refer. you paid for our sin. Would you please bless this time as we study your words. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Is there feedback coming from the mic or is it? Okay. <clears throat> All right, so I'm going to reread 18 to 20 to get fresh in our minds. So there should be Bibles under your seat or you have your own. Please follow along as we go. 18. If the world hates you, it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Uh, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So Jesus is providing a framework to explain what will happen after he ascends to, to heaven. He begins describing this reality of what life will be like for these disciples by speaking of the world's hatred. Before we are examining hatred, though, first we need to understand what Jesus means by the world. It's a, it's a word that you know, occurs multiple times in John's gospel as well as the rest of scripture, and it refers ultimately to a system that is in rebellion against God. So specifically, it's, the world refers to every person who by sinning is not only separated from relationship with God, but is at an active rebel against the creator and king of everything. And in John's gospel, we first see this reference to the world in chapter one. Um, the word that John uses here is cosmos. So the, that's the Greek word. Um, it's the same word that we see in this chapter in 15. Um, you should see it on the screen behind me, this text from John 1, 9 to 11. So the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So John is referring to creation by saying that everything was created through Jesus. Everything. And yet when Jesus, God himself, comes to earth, the world does not receive him. This is an example of that rebellion against God. 
But remember, you know, the rebellion goes all the way back to the beginning of the creation at the fall. Adam and Eve were in perfect sinless relationship with God, but Adam rebelled against God by disobeying him and eating the fruit which God commanded not to eat. And, and this was the first sin. This was uh, the king. So this act of rebellion, this, this, is an, this represents the world. It's an order that is alienated from God and in rebellion against God and his plans. So I'll say that again. The world is an order that is alienated from God and in rebellion against God and his plans. That's fine. I think. Okay, is it coming through the same way now? Better feedback? Okay, sounds like it's better. Thank you. That was really starting to get on my, my mind. <laughs> and I'm sure it's on your mind. Okay. Um, well, I already repeated the world twice, so uh, we'll refer to that again. But in, you know, in John's gospel, we're seeing that Jesus is hated. People in general just don't believe who he is. They don't believe that he is the living son of God. They do not believe in him and his words. And from an early point, Jesus is plotted against that he might be captured and killed, right? Imagine being in that room with Jesus. He's taken the time to wash the feet of the disciples He's celebrating Passover with them, breaking the bread, and then he begins to teach them right here. And, and even as he's stating these words in the upper room after Passover, he's being actively betrayed. And the next day, he'll be tried for his crimes, crimes he did not commit. He'll be beaten, mocked, and condemned in physical torment and shame on a cross. He knows what it's like to be heated, hated. And he knows more than anyone else. The world hated Jesus the Christ so much that it killed him. Look again at 18. Jesus is explaining that if the world hates us, know that he was hated first. And now Jesus is implying that the world will hate us. Will. He's explaining this to his disciples who are beginning to understand what's to come. They've seen much evil against Jesus already, but Jesus knows. He knows that the disciples will be the first witnesses to his words and his deeds. The disciples see how Jesus is treated, how he's killed, and so Jesus is explaining to them that it will be no different for them. He's essentially saying, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. The world condemned me and killed me for living the gospel of the kingdom of God. You who follow me will also be hated. But we see that Jesus is not just explaining, you know, what will happen to the disciples, but why it will happen. In verse 19, Jesus is saying, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. We see that the world loves the world, and the world by its nature 
being in rebellion against God. And so if the world was going to like us, we would have to be like the world. We would have to identify with the world, not with God. We would have to make decisions that are against God and against his ways in order to be loved by the world. He continues this in the second, in the second half. Because, uh, verse 19, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He's explaining for the disciples that the world is not going to like them. Jesus is, he's not explaining the, the hatred of the world in case it happens to Christians. It's the opposite. Jesus is explaining why the hatred of the world happens because it does hate us. It does hate disciples of Jesus. And the reason that the world will hate Christians is because Christians are chosen by Jesus. He chose the disciples out of the world. It's something that he said previously and in verse 16. And here he's saying, you know, now they're in relationship with God. They're in relationship with him. They don't belong to the world anymore. The disciples' identity has forever changed. And now they're servants of the Most High God. Servants of the Lord, the Christ, because they have been chosen by Jesus. And this is a radical change that Jesus is highlighting. It's radical. If you're a Christian, you follow Jesus the King. You no longer belong to the world. He explains why this is in verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Humanity has been enemies of God for so long, since the fall we referenced earlier, and the world will see that the disciples are different. They'll notice it because they're no longer enemies of God. Theologian D.A. Carson um, has a quote, and he explains it this way. Former rebels who have, by the grace of the king, been won back to loving allegiance to their rightful monarch are not likely to prove popular with those who persist in rebellion. This is true of all Christians. If you follow Jesus, you have received his grace. You've been restored into fellowship with God. You belong to him. And God is our king now. And so as such... Enemies of the king will not like us. They will persecute us. The enemies of God are exactly that. They are enemies. And anyone who follows God will be seen as representatives of God, the true king. Don't be surprised that the world hates us. It hates our God, Jesus. We'll discuss more about the sin of hating God in section two. Jesus' works works reveal the sin of the hatred of God. It is a sin. Hate is not just a feeling. It's not just an emotional response. The definition of hate is an intense dislike or ill will. Will. Hatred is an action coming from what we believe. 
we can either love Jesus or hate Jesus. There's no middle ground. And Jesus is alluding to this here in 21 to 23. All these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. And so the hatred comes because of a wrong belief, a wrong attitude toward God. And thus, when we as Christians face this persecution, we're experiencing it not because of us, but because of Jesus. People's beliefs about Jesus are the reason that people persecute Christians. Another way of thinking of it is that it's not a personal attack when someone persecutes me. It's because of what they think about Jesus. It's what they believe about him. That's why. It's important to note that, you know, we should not try to alienate ourselves from others to somehow artificially cause persecution as if inciting persecution is a goal. Don't try to cause persecution to happen to you. We should speak to others with grace, seasoned with salt, as Paul says in Colossians 4, 6, being gracious to those in our lives and not rude or arrogant. Persecution is an extension of the world's hatred of God. Here's, here's an example. You know, just, just an example of what hating Jesus can look like. So as a college student, I remember taking a history of religion class. So week after week, we're, we're studying all the religions in the world um, over the whole semester, and every week, the professor um, and the doctoral students mocked Christianity specifically, comparing it. It was especially awkward, you know, being in that small group setting of the class. Yeah, I, was a, I was a Christian at that point, I should mention. Um, week after week, Uh, discussing the various New Testament texts, including the passion of the Christ, right, where Jesus is is mocked and killed. And, And Christ was spoken about as if he was a fool. The New Testament and evangelism was boiled down to a group of elite people trying to seek power, even open laughter at the texts as being far fetched uh, or foolish to believe or to practice. You know, after after some time I decided I was going to reveal that I was a Christian. You know, after, you know, several of these demeaning comments were made about Christianity, you know, and it's not that I, I thought speaking up would change anything. But I was surprised. I was surprised that the, the professor continued to mock Jesus and the Bible, even asking me to explain something rhetorically, you know, as if the text was foolish. But looking back, I realize I should not have been surprised because the comments the professor made through the semester were not directed at me. They were directed at Jesus. And it revealed the hatred that the professor had against Jesus. People persecute people for their faith in Jesus because of the hatred that they have to him. I know it firsthand. Because if you zoom back in my life, just a few years before that story, when I was a Christian, I told you, you'd see a very different reality. 
you'd see me as the hater of Jesus. I did not believe that Jesus was really worthy of worship. I believed in God openly, generally, you know, in a non-specific, generalized view of God, but I, I did not love Jesus. I hated what Jesus stood for at my core because he was opposed to my pride. He was opposed to my self-worship. I wanted everything to be about me. I did not like that Jesus wanted me to give up that sinful worship of myself. And I often professed belief in God, but I scoffed at faith in Jesus when people tried to explain it to me because it was all about me. Like, as if saying, I don't need that. That's ridiculous. That's an attitude of hate at my core that I held in my sin, in my rebellion against God. But God miraculously saved me from that, even while I hated him. I didn't deserve that grace. It's a grace. So these are just examples, right? Probably some small examples about persecution towards someone who believe in Jesus. Um, but, but, you know, when someone believes in Jesus, this persecution can look like someone scoffing at you for your faith, like I did before I was a Christian. It, you know, it can look like verbal abuse. It can look like physical violence. Every year, Christians are killed because of their belief in Jesus. Not 500 years ago they were killed or 2,000 years ago. Every year, today, People are killed for their faith in Jesus, and it's heartbreaking. Many in this room have experienced a form of persecution, or, or will. And some of us have persecuted others, perhaps by scoffing at Christianity to a friend before we believed. You may experience more or less hatred, uh, persecution than I've described, excuse me. But Jesus calls us not to be surprised. Don't be surprised that it happened to us on his account. People lack that relationship to God, and when they do, and and they're in sinful rebellion against him, they hate Jesus. Throughout scripture, we're seeing that Jesus is fully God, but, but the people have rebellion against God, and the true king is the reason for humanity's hatred of God. But Jesus... He's fully aligned with God. He's fully aligned with all of God's plans. And when people hate Jesus, they're not just hating a man. They're hating God himself, God the Son, and thus by extension, God the Father. Recall at the beginning of the Upper Rim Discourse. So in the the context of history, just probably a few hours ago from what Jesus is speaking now, Alden preached earlier on John 14. This should be on the screen. Um, Thomas was speaking with Jesus about, you know, Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus replies, he is in the Father. The Father is in him. John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So in this text, Jesus revealed we see that Jesus and the Father dwell within each other. They're both persons of the Trinity, fully God. And Jesus being in the Father, the Father is in Jesus. So, essentially, 
It's impossible to love the Father, to love God while hating Jesus. They're both God, fully aligned. We cannot hate Jesus but love God, or love God but, but hate Jesus. This is why people who hate Jesus are guilty of sin, right? So the Jews had a long professed love of God while sinning. And Jesus is addressing this here, just as he did in his ministry. And, you know, he's calling on people's need to recognize him as the Christ, the Messiah. And people's, uh, God's people professed worship of him. But, like we said in chapter 1 of John earlier, when he visited them in the form of man, Jesus, the people did not receive him. So the implication is that they should have been ready to receive him. They should have been desiring to see him, God's anointed one, desiring fellowship with God, with their own Messiah. But instead, Jesus explains, they hated him without cause. And Jesus is revealing that this was prophesied all along. Look at 24 to 25 of this text. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So not only is Jesus calling out this sin, this hatred is a sin, he's, he's quoting scripture. He's revealing that this was prophesied, that he would be hated without a cause. This is from Psalm 35, 19. That's what he's quoting. Let not those rejoice over me who, wrong, who are wrongfully my foes. And let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. Though Jesus is speaking about the Jews, he's not only speaking about the Jews. He, he says, whoever hates me hates my father also. The same is true of us. We can either love Jesus or hate Jesus. There's no in-between. Remember that each of us was in desperate need for a savior. We were part of the world hating Jesus and God, and we were in darkness. It's important to remember that we were in no different state than the Jews or the world. Without relationship with Christ, we do not have the truth. We don't have the way, the life. We do not have eternal life with God without Jesus' payment for our sin. But fortunately, God did not leave us in this state of hopelessness and sin. God's plan is also not to leave the rest of the world in this state of hopelessness and sin either. This is section three, if you're taking notes, verse 26 to 27. The Holy Spirit and Christians, they bear witness about Jesus to the world. So let's reread those two verses. 26 to 27 of chapter 15. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So, so up to now, Jesus has spent time detailing what it's going to be like, so that we're not surprised. 
And at first it may sound like the only thing that we can do is just grit our teeth, just, just move through it, move through the persecution. But, uh, sorry, but perhaps we're to say to ourselves, I just need to get through this season, through this persecution, but we have hope. The disciples are again reminded by Jesus that the Holy Spirit himself, the third person of the Trinity of God, will come to dwell within them. Together, the Holy Spirit and the disciples will carry on Jesus' mission of sharing his good news. He's revealing, Jesus is revealing that we are the witnesses that will tell the world who he is. So he's speaking first to the disciples. He's calling the disciples witnesses. When a witness is called to a stand in a courtroom, they share evidence of what they saw happen. That's what a witness is. A witness is someone who sees something take place. And Jesus is calling the disciples to be those people who saw his life, saw his death, his resurrection, his gift of salvation take place. And they did. The disciples, they wrote down the things in the New Testament and they told many about it. The same is true of us today. We are the witnesses of Jesus. So sometimes in my life, I felt unsure about how to witness about Jesus. You know, like, how do I, how do I say the gospel? What, what words do I say? Or what am I actually supposed to do? What does it mean to bear witness about Jesus? I think ultimately, as witnesses, we point to scripture. That's our, that's our foundation. When we tell others about Jesus, we're saying, look here, the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, his resurrection, his redemption, they recorded down their witness here so that we can have faith and have eternal life with God forever. As an example, look at what Apostle Paul does, how he appeals to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8. This should be on the screen. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So these disciples in this upper room with Jesus, they bore witness about him. And other disciples did too. More than 500 people were there, and, and Paul's appealing to all these witnesses. And here, they're seeing that Jesus, they saw what Jesus' life was like, what his message was. It's the same for us. It's the same. We're, we're appealing to that scripture, and the Holy Spirit is within us to witness through us, and we can love that world who persecutes Christians by sharing the gospel with them. If you're hearing this, really, really consider Jesus' words. Not, not mine, but consider his. 
I invite you to pray for someone in your lives this week. Maybe, you know, consider how you can be a witness for Jesus to them. Maybe it's a family member, maybe a neighbor or a coworker, but ask the Holy Spirit to make an opportunity for you to continue in your relationship with them and share the good news of Jesus' gospel with them. As we're doing this, remember, we're not doing it alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is working through the conversations that we have. In fact, he's working through our thoughts, he's working through our prayers, and our intentions toward others all the time. That's him bearing witness. And it's helpful to also remember why we're doing this. We share the gospel with other people. We witness to other people about who Jesus is in response to Jesus' love for us. We remember that Jesus loved a world who hated him by dying for it. He asks us to follow him deeper into the gospel, to love a world who hates him. But he isn't just helping us to do it. He isn't just telling us to do it. He's the only reason we can do it. Think of John 3, 16 to 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus' death was a sacrifice for our sins, for us. We were those rebels against God who wanted our own way and not God's way. We were the people walking in darkness who did not receive the Christ. Jesus made the way for us to return to the kingdom of God. And he did this by bringing us from a state of spiritual death to spiritual life and then giving us his Holy Spirit. Just like Jesus said in this upper room discourse, he chose the disciples. He also chose us out of the world to be his own family, part of his kingdom. And together with the Holy Spirit, we can respond to the hatred of the world, the rebels against God, by sharing the good news of Jesus. We can do this because we ourselves used to be rebels of God. We were enemies, God-haters and Jesus-haters. We were all condemned, set to perish as rebels of the kingdom of God because of our sin. But when Jesus chose us out of the world, he made us his own, part of his kingdom and family. This is why we celebrate the Lord's table. I'll be unmiked here, but I'll try to be loud. <clears throat> On the night that, that Jesus was betrayed, he shared a last supper with his disciples, whom he chose out of the world. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup in the same way. And when he had given thanks, he said to them, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And we remember 
that Jesus chose us, those rebels of God, fellow haters of God, when we take part in communion. We remember that he made us part of his kingdom, worshipers of the King Jesus. So some of you, you might be hearing this for the first time. And if so, I invite you to enjoy the forgiveness of sin and rebellion against God. Right now, even, you can receive his gift of grace and be brought into fellowship with him. You can pray to him in this moment. You can receive his grace and then take part in the Lord's table. Otherwise, we ask that you refrain from taking the Lord's Supper because it's a symbol of us remembering his grace and his sacrifice for us. And I'd be happy to talk to you more. I'll be in the back after about these things or answer any questions or pray with you. And for those who are already in the part, uh, part of the kingdom of God, remember, we were purchased by Christ's blood. So we must not be surprised that the world will hate us as they hated our king. Know that the Holy Spirit will witness with us as we share the good news of the gospel with those in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the peace you give, for the relationship you've provided at so steep a price. I thank you that you gave us your son so that any who believe in him would have eternal life with you instead of perishing. God, you were gracious and patient to me when I hated you. And many still continue to hate you, God, and I pray that you would use us to bear witness about who you are, what you've accomplished, Lord Jesus, so that people who hate you will become your children, part of your eternal family forever. I thank you for your grace and your love, Jesus. And it's in your name of the High King, the eternal ruler, Jesus, we pray. Amen.